This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling-Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential. Emerald Fennell's Saltburn, which has been compared to stories like The Talented Mr. Ripley and Brideshead Revisited, is sexy, sweaty, hilarious, mysterious, and divisive. Its visual language is stunning, so I'm so pleased to have with me Academy Award-winning cinematographer Linus Sandgren. He's worked with directors like David O. Russell on American Hustle, on the Bond movie No Time to Die, and several projects with Damien Chazelle, including First Man, Last Year's Babylon, and La La Land, for which he won the Oscar in 2017. In Saltburn, Linus takes us on a gorgeous ride through Gothic environments inhabited by the British aristocracy the Gothic corridors of Oxford, and the Saltburn Estate, a character in its own right. We talked about capturing the visual language of Saltburn, his inspirations, as well as that bathtub scene that has audiences gasping. Writer-director Emerald Fennell's last film was Promising Young Woman. Her new film, Saltburn, is set around 2006. Scholarship student Oliver Quick, played by Barry Keoghan, is attending Oxford when he befriends and obsesses about the wealthy and stunning Felix, played by Jacob Bellardi. Felix invites Oliver to spend the summer at his eccentric family's estate, Saltburn. My parents, they've got problems. What kind of, what do you mean problems? I don't think I'll ever go home again. Well, why don't you come home with me? Come to Saltburn. Mr. Quick. Wow. And here he is now. Oh, what beautiful eyes. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah, I told you it wasn't a minger. Oh, but darling, you're kind about everyone. You can't be trusted. I had them hang up an old-school dinner jacket. We dressed for dinner here. Dressed for dinner? Yeah, it's like... Uh, it was like black tie. I think I like you even more than last year's one. You're so, um... So what? Real. Welcome to the show. I'm so honored to have you with me, and congratulations on your beautiful work on Saltburn. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. We're going to steer clear a bit in the beginning from spoilers here at the top, but then I have some scenes that I'm so fascinated by your work and process into them. So I thought we'll delve into them later, but I'm going to warn the listeners about those when we get there. I recently heard writer-director Emerald Fennell say that she wanted Saltburn to, quote, make you feel freaked out and turned on. <laughs> How did you start this uh this the key elements to do this visually oh uh, good question i mean you talk so much right about different things and i always try to 
you know, I really want to ground the cinematography and the visuals in, in, in your, in the script and in what the director's vision is. And so a lot of discussions is going on um, that I try to not sort of project um, too many ideas, but rather ask questions so that we could create a language together. Um, and that's sort of based on uh, keywords that comes out of those discussions. And I feel like, you know, quite quickly we knew it was going to be a bold film that had, it could go like kind of, expressive rather than um, completely naturalistic even though it should all be real right it should feel real and should feel authentic and it should as you said it, it should feel at the same time all the time there should be sexual tension at the same time as it could you know be uh, whatever the scenes were about it could always integrate some sort of sexual tension in it as well so we 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 started talking about it and um, and came to sort of quite quickly the conclusion the film is kind of a in a way a vampire film where whereas vampire films has you know thematically or like metaphorically I would say metaphorically it's kind of a vampire film I think is what we felt that it should uh, the same way that has sort of desire and lust and and uh, and and sort of there's also sort of in vampire films kind of violence and these things too. So we have all these kind of key, these kind of elements in it, even though it's um it, it all takes place in reality. But and and with with that, it felt like also with the house itself being this amazing old uh, manor uh, that has these gothic elements. It all kind of came together as a mixture of, I would say, like baroque paintings um and like horror movies from the 20s and like with a with a sort of voyeurism and suspense we were after uh hitchcock and it was kind of all these things came together as 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 one like it, it, it they're all kind of related so we wanted to live in that kind of realm of where you could see explicit things in sort of lit sort of evocatively lit paintings kind of thing so so we kind of yeah we, we, we and and also you know like emerald really wanted to see a lot of details a lot of sweat a lot of um close armpits hair, and nice and things armpits. like that <laughs> yeah that kind of stuff so yeah it's you know like there's so much in pre-production where you talk right and you talk about these things and then suddenly <laughs> you get the images uh, in your head and and the sort of the visual language, the visual style uh, in your in your head. And I, I I would say she also said at some time she said like she wanted to feel like wet, and mm-hmm. and like that also kind of reminds me of the old sort of paintings from um, especially the Baroque era. I would think like which is like yeah. kind of like Caravaggio, but like yeah Caravaggio and, and all oftentimes these. Um, these uh, image or the, these paintings were oftentimes um, portraying uh, things that were hard to really watch normally, like it would be scenes that would, would be perhaps hard to watch, but you would depict them in a sort of a, a, a beautiful way. And 
So it's always that contrast of beauty and ugliness as well, which was a theme for her too, to see, you know, both the, the beauty and the, and the ugliness in things. In several of the projects you've done, you've done my favorite thing. You've so beautifully and dreamily portrayed the heightened reality of LA and Hollywood in uh-huh. La La Land and Babylon. And now you're doing this heightened reality in something so British, the Oxford corridors, the rich estates, this property that you were talking about that's been in the same family for a thousand years or what I think I read. What is the difference between that opulence in Hollywood that you captured so well and the British aristocracy, that fantasy? Oh, well, I guess you you need to research and look into how things really look like, right? And then pick pick the things that are that that are specific. I, I feel like in La La Land, we also saw the sort of ugliness of LA. Uh, and it was kind of interesting to make it look beautiful. Like let the because you have the beautiful light in Los Angeles, right? Like it's it's so incredible with the ocean right next to next to you. So the sunsets are incredible. The magic hours are incredible. And then you have this sort of the cheap part of, of the city, which is like the 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 telephone poles or whatever and the and and the the sort of gritty planning of the city. But if you combine those two, uh, you you sort of get something else that becomes that you could you could sort of romanticize that, and and mm-hmm. that's what we tried to do there, I think. And here we worked a little more. I I mean, in the film, I feel like everything is very real. We've used relocations. It was very much about authentic. Uh, how things felt for Emerald at the time in two thousand in in two thousand what is this two thousand seven or nine seven yeah yeah in two thousand seven like how she felt things were back then and and then we just turned it up a notch in in dramatizing the lighting dramatizing mm-hmm. we were always on relocations we did build sets and stuff but we wanted to just pick the things the elements of this so you have this rich amazing castle and it's it's sort of or, or manner that is like a castle and it's dark inside it's bright outside we, we sort of created contrasts like this and 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 the sense that the house was hiding um uh, sort of secrets or secrets were hidden in there and um with oxford the same thing all th- this uh, college we were in actually i mean it existed looks just like this um, but we picked it because it had um, no modern looking sort of parts of it, which we liked. We liked that it had this sort of old fashioned room. So they felt a little more like a romantic version of because I'm sure there's colleges there that are looking a little more modernized and have more, more modern windows. But we like the old um, Gothic feel of it. Uh, we like that, that it had a lot of like um, sort of mullions or, or these bars in the glass that we could we could use for isolating uh, Oliver um, in in all kinds of ways. Like in every scene, almost we see these windows with um, bars uh, in them, so that it feels like he's almost imprisoned uh, in his dorm. He's imprisoned in the 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 sort of room where he's playing pool and isolated from the others. And so, so we used, I guess, what what is part of the the thing in order to make it a little more heightened and not um, completely naturalistic is also to 
add uh, metaphors and and sort of symbols, symbolic uh, symbolic storytelling. So that way, doing those kind of things and stylize it by compose the shots in in a in in a way as well where it's kind of symbolic for for each scene. So we we worked a lot. We worked more that way too. Uh, I think in this film, uh, me and Emerald in composing the scenes and blocking the scenes um, in such a way that it wouldn't be, I mean, traditionally, cinematically, I would I would think we, we would do more shots and we would move more around and see different angles. But here we kind of wanted to present to the audience, almost like a painter would do, right? right. Okay, paint one painting of this scene, where is it? Oh, it's probably going to be here. And then you see the scene happen in front of you. The the audience has the authority to sort of feel and see instead of us sort of uh, creating that for them. But you do as well, of course, but you rather with almost like a juxtaposing feeling. So you were talking about the German expressionist type of thing you're using. I'm thinking of like tall rooms and ceilings and things like that. But at the same time, the family is always cramped in these little little rooms watching TV or the karaoke scene. They're always like right in the cramped in the middle there. But while you have this this juxtaposition that you're talking about. Right, exactly. Um, No, but then also with that composition of this more square format, you see the tall ceilings and we cramped it together on the bottom. And I think when it comes to that sensual stuff that we're always wanting to add, it could oftentimes happen also in in the close-ups, I think. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, listeners, we're going to get into some detail and spoilers now. One of the big things in the movie is, of course, that it turns out that Oliver is from a middle-class family, not a poor family. I wanted to know how you thought visually when you get to his parents' house. How different was that? (laughs) We talked (laughs) a lot about it, actually, because it felt like that should feel like the most mundane, uh, normal, most normal, really. I mean, it shouldn't even feel like boring or or, um, ugly or anything. It's more like normal and because to i think emerald boring almost i think is what he feels about his life it's more complex to be really poor or really really rich but this is just the worst i think is his mind (laughs) yeah in his mind there's nothing worse than be sort of completely normal and insignificant and one of the normal people that lives a boring life has nothing so so this was the the most sort of what he really wanted to get away from the most. So for us, it was about making the parents feel like really normal and wonderful and and fine and and everything being quite sort of soft and and, um, naturalistic, but kind of boring, really like not necessarily ugly, ugly, but not at all like any expressive uh, feel to it, but just really plain. We we even th- considered like thinking of um, maybe shooting that because we shot everything on film, but we were considering for a moment, it, maybe we should even shoot it like digital 
to just oh, make interesting it more, so TV. You know, <laughs> clean, yeah like a clean like tv image but we we didn't but we we wanted it to feel like a just a normal mundane situation you know um that would be the least exciting of all the scenes <laughs> in terms of the look you know and let's move on to the scene that's caused the most reaction, I think. I'm interested in hearing what you think of it. And that's the bathtub scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, what do you it, think of the reactions? To- so amazing. Every screening I've been at, uh, it's really, really fun to hear the audience gasp, right? It's just like a... <gasps> uh, in, I but love it. Like the full cinema, you know. Um, you know, it's just one shot, right? It's just one shot, but it's also that 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 was also like, how can you tell this in the shortest or most efficient time? Or not, not the shortest time, but the most efficient way, right? You always want it to be as expressive as possible in the each each shot so that you don't need many shots to cut to. And we we felt that um we walked around before that um what once we were sort of we had built the set. We walked around to find the exact angle, but what was nice was we found that if we have um when it was filled up right and it was all that red blood, then you could see the reflection of him in the in in the water in the bloody water. So that way we could rack just rack focus to his face in the water. And um, well, yeah. I was thinking more of the drain scene. Oh. Yes, that's the one. That... <laughs> I see. No, because I thought of the reaction in the... the yes. That was a big gasp. Oh, the other also one... Also big gasp. Sexist. Okay, sorry. Yeah. The other... Uh, the other. Oh, the drain scene. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's normal. <laughs> I mean, that was... <laughs> no, but totally. Yeah, That that's like when, when, when half the audience were excited and half the audience were disgusted, I think. Yeah, that kind of... <laughs> And uh, and that was very specified in the script as well, actually, that scene. So mm-hmm. it was very fun to read. And and we we actually had two bathtubs for that, one for the sort of wide shot of it and one for the close-up so we could really be oh. down with him. So we cut out a bathtub in order to like be able to be with the lens right next to, to the drain. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's all also like Barry and uh, <laughs> how Barry does that and, and Emerald's sort of vision for it because she she really also wanted to just we should really challenge the audience in because to her i think it's also like it's both sort of um erotic and and sort of disgusting just like the beauty and the ugliness it's like it's both yeah it seems like a theme going through you're talking about the beauty and the ugly yeah and everything can be kind of beautiful but that's sort of the the complexity of everything in in life but it's also for the audience to decide themselves, right? What they think. Right. Um, oh, there were many bathrooms that were exciting, actually. Yeah, lots of exciting bathrooms in the Stalford. Yeah. Um, and then I want to talk about the end, the dance. Um, and I'm sorry if this feels a bit stereotypical because you're Swedish, but I think I mentioned it to you when we met briefly at Telluride. I was thinking of Bergman and specifically Fanny and Alexander and the Ekdal house, 
which is enormous and filled of statues and rugs and tapestry and the scene where they the Christmas danced where they go from room to room and leading oh. on to another one and also that this movie is filled with doll houses I know you've talked about that Emerald had this thing about you know when Alexander is yeah. looking at these moving these things around Thanks. and I'm not sure if this is all a reference for you Maybe not, but is it? <laughs> no, it's actually not. Um, it, we haven't really talked about uh, Bergman uh, in uh, when we talked about sort of references uh, at all, actually. But when you say it, it's interesting because I feel like also it has a similar sort of, it, it also has, I mean, that's also some sort of upper class, right? And um, But it, this Swedish version. And with the gothic feel of the priest, and there's all these juxtapositions right. in that. So, yeah, actually, interesting. Yeah, I think for us, uh, for Emerald, the dance was originally also like a walk through the house, and it had to do with the beginning. It's sort of a bookend of the beginning uh, walk where we walk through the house and see the whole thing. And now it's obviously his, it is. yeah, he's <laughs> the king of the castle, and it's kind of joyful, right? It's like after all that we've seen now, it's it's all, it could also be kind of a, a bit um, gut wrenching for people to see him sort of win or be get what he wants. Like he he got what he wanted, right? But it's um, it was it was meant to feel like absolutely <clears throat> joyful, and, and, and it it's does. About, yeah, and it's a lot about Barry's. Uh, performance there i think too the camera is kind of just following him through the house seeing him being part of it right you wanted it to feel like he was part of it and and it's sort of a gentle following creeping following shot throughout with an but amazing it, score <laughs> yes very much um in terms of oliver what methods did you use visually from the beginning of the movie to sort of half show us this double nature, the secrets that he was keeping? How did you work with that? Well, I mean, one of it, one one part is that um, already in the first couple of scenes, he kind of tells us, right? Like, actually, if you see it again, it's just like he tells you kind of get the get the whole idea there. He he talks to the camera. He says that he questions if he was in love with him or not. And then you see all these clips um, flash by from, and you kind of get a sense that something is wrong. Right. And then, but it was a, a matter of unfolding and making him seem once the film starts after that, it's like making him seem innocent and that he's a nerd and he's an outsider and he's, and slowly we sort of unfold that there's something awkward going on with him because he's right away kind of watching his friend Felix <clears throat> make out with a girl and he stands outside a window creepingly smoking a cigarette, which is sort of awkward and ominous. And yeah. Yeah. So now you, you, you sort of start to invest in him being uh, some sort of strange psycho or something or like having psychopathic issues we're kind of intimately portraying him. I think we, we see him a lot um, in the film and we're always curious to see how he reacts. Like we had close-ups on his face a lot to, to see, but he's actually lying, right? Like when he's crying in, in uh, Felix's dorm, uh, when his yeah. father has died, uh, when he tells that his father has died, that is sort of like 
we, we wanted to feel like really honest, right? Like he's really telling the truth here and it's sad and it's you feel a pity for him. And so we wanted to invest in him for all, all these things so that when things turn and reveal more of, of the truth of everything, you ideally have invested enough in him to like him that you feel like that you might understand him or something you know it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. want to play with these things and as well you have the character farley right who's kind of annoying so you kind of i feel like i i'm kind of on oliver's side when it comes to farley but yeah because farley feels like he's picking at him he understands yeah. that there's something wrong with this totally. and, you know. yeah no he mm-hmm. does but also you kind of think he's annoying so Mm-hmm. So kind of kind of root a little bit for Oliver in in those moments with him and then because later you know like even like when he his he has his birthday and where mm-hmm. he has the birthday cake that is kind of a black and white image right but it's red and yellow yeah, it's like red right that's like I it's remember that yeah. and it's yeah. also like symbolic in the sense that that is sort of the heart of the house it's the middle of the house it's that staircase and so it's like the heart of the house so we thought like we wanted to introduce red all the time for for, for all kinds of sort of symbolic reasons, like it's connected with sort of lust, it's connected with death, it's connected uh, to the inside of human body. And it's like, it's mm-hmm. a great color. Period. Uh, yeah, yeah, we had the blood, we had sort of the, the corridor between Oliver's room in the house and the bathroom is a red corridor. Right. For Emerald, that is a red corridor. So he walks through this red uh, tunnel of, almost like it's kind of it's kind of erotic i think in in, in mm. one sense uh, thematically you you certainly are one of this generation's most respected cinematographers you're doing groundbreaking work when you look back at earlier generations of cinematographers who really influenced you oh i feel like there's so many i grew up you know like watching a lot of different films from all over the world um because my dad was uh, importing films to Sweden. So he worked with distribution and had a lot of films from like anything from Shang Yimou and uh, Kurosawa and Kislovsky to like mm. Armush and, and, and like The Godfather. <laughs> so it's like all kinds <laughs> of films that I watched. They were all great. Most of them were great, great cinema. And when you see great cinema, it, it is great cinema, right? Like, and I, and it did, it, it did really influence me, uh, all kinds of different cinematographers. I mean, I, I hardly remember the name of the early cin- cinematographers, you know, like when you go back to like Hitchcock or to like the 20s or 30s, films that are, you know, like shot in sort of a film noir was always an early kind of, because it's so, it, it's powerful, I think, with film noir. But then later I, I was also very inspired by naturalism, like uh, Chris Menges stuff in um you know, in the mission or or uh, of course. killing fields, right? That kind of cinematography. Or uh, uh, Vilmos Sigmund had a great range uh, on different kinds of, uh, you know, th- very different types of films, but where he was very sensible with the, how he used the camera um, and, and could tell stories, um, I think, beautifully. But um, obviously, I, I think also... Um, uh, Sven Nyqvist and, and I worked actually with his Sven Nyqvist gaffer uh, Uffe, uh, sorry, Uffe Björk who, who was the gaffer on um, like Fanny Alexander lots of Swedish uh, films with Sven and he he was a great inspiration actually I think of him a lot for um, 
um, for, for his simplicity in, in how he thinks about lighting, uh, where he thought about lighting. And, and same with Sven, right? He was very, he, he thought like always about that there's only one sun. So there should only be one light, ideally. <laughs> I think the same way. I feel like there is one light. One light is enough, right? Like you need to shape the image with a broad stroke with one light. And then you can add, but you should still feel like it's one sun. It shouldn't feel like there's 10 suns. Um, you could obviously have practicals and stuff, but but in general... Uh, then I later on I was uh, in film school. I was it was in the nineties. I was very very um, you know I, I looked up a lot to lots of cinematographers there in the nineties. Like yeah, I mean there's so many. It's so hard yeah. to but, uh, but I feel like I I feel like very influenced by many different ones. I think Chris Doyle is an amazing cinematographer. I think Doris Conge is an amazing cinematographer. I think I mean there's so many uh, that that are still around that that always have influenced me a lot um and today i think what's what what inspires me someone like doris Conyu, for example inspires me a lot actually i must say because he's he's he he really works as well with what the script uh needs like he 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 bases his work on the script and and the director's vision and doesn't necessarily uh you know project his a, a specific look on things but he's he's starting there and then it develops into something and obviously he has a beautiful taste and, and a beautiful, really great craftsman. So, do you know your next project? Uh, yes, I'm working right yeah. now with uh, Noah Bambach on a film. Uh, oh, fantastic! That, yeah, that might may be different from the last few projects you've done. Yeah, but that's always. I mean, it's so much about like the discussions with directors, and hopefully, everything. Hopefully, every project you know doesn't look like the other ones so it's like i think uh this was a very inspiring um script that he has and i think we it feels really exciting to to start what is it or is it under wraps what it is i think i don't know i don't okay. know if I talk about it too much i don't know actually if i can talk about it so i better not that's okay so i think that's our time please keep okay. doing this beauty and ugly that you're doing because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really magic and you're gonna be such an inspiration for the next cinematographers coming up thank you so much for taking the time with me as well thank you thank you so yeah. much thank you so much to linus sangren saltburn will be streaming globally on december 22nd on prime video and thank you so much for joining us Pop Culture Confidential is a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.